Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duckstream. I am your host, Alexis Downey, coming to you from the Paul Korea studio. Great to have you join me for another week of hockey. I had a really nice weekend between the Ducks game on Saturday night and then the coaches 5K challenge on Sunday at Great Park Ice in Irvine that benefited the Anaheim Ducks Foundation. A big thank you to Dallas and his wife, Ingrid, for spearheading that event. It was so fun to see all of the fans out there and hear their stories as they cross the finish line. Truly a very inspiring morning. The Ducks hosted the Chicago Blackhawks for some Saturday night puck over the weekend, and it was certainly a standout game for the team despite the outcome with the Hawks winning 3-2. So let's dive into the game with AD's takeaways now. This may have been the best game that we've seen out of the team. Head coach Dallas Akins noted afterwards that he was pleased with the team's zone entrances and exits throughout the game. They outshot Chicago 41 to 22, putting a lot of pucks on net and spending a lot of time in the ozone as well. That was something in particular that I was really impressed with by the group. The team also did a fairly good job of staying out of the box, which is an area that we know they have struggled with this season. However, they were not able to capitalize when it came to a four minute power play opportunity that they had in the second period. That was really critical. And I think that could have been a turning point in the game should the Ducks have gotten a goal on that. But that's just how it goes sometimes. What ended up being the game-winning goal from Chicago, though, in under three minutes in the third period, it was really just an unfortunate bounce off Kulikov in front of Anthony Stolarz into the net. That'll happen sometimes and unfortunately just did not go the Ducks' way in the end. Now, one thing that I was very impressed with in this game was the line of Adam Henrique, Trevor Zegers, and Troy Terry on that top line. They looked very strong, dominating on the ice, and they had the two goals for the Ducks in this game. Terry's goal coming 19 seconds in, and Henrique's not too long after that in the first period. I thought that was really cool for Adam Henrique, too, who just welcomed his daughter Blake last Thursday with his wife, Lauren. Congratulations to them. What an awesome way to celebrate that. I asked him after the game in the locker room how cool it was to net a goal thinking about his daughter. And he said that he was thinking about her and it was very special for him to net that one. So overall, I really felt good about the team on Saturday night, and I hope that they can continue that play into this week as well. And the Ducks will get another opportunity to look for a win at home on Tuesday night as a part of the final home game in this homestand. They will host the Detroit Red Wings and also celebrate Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Puck drop will be at 7 p.m. And of course, you can listen to the game here on Duckstream with the call from Steve Carroll, Dan Wood, and Josh Brewster. It's time to go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL over the weekend. Beginning with the Tampa Bay Lightning and Washington Capitals game on Sunday, the Lightning had a dominant 6-3 win over the Capitals, but it was a big day for Mikhail Sergachev for the Lightning, who netted two goals and two assists in the first period. He became the third defenseman in Lightning history to record four points in a single period. The first one since Dan Boyle did in 2006. 
Hear the call from his power play goal by Lightning's David Mishkin. Perfect right circle. Left corner, Stamkos. To the left point, Sergachev. Sergachev, shoot, score! That might have been tipped on the way in. The Lightning get a shot from Sergachev at the point. And they lead 1-0. Sergachev leading the fist bump line. So maybe it did go straight in. An early lead for the Lightning. Going back to Saturday, the Colorado Avalanche and Carolina Hurricanes faced off. The Avs have now won four in a row as of Monday when I'm recording this and have been looking really strong on the ice, kind of like that team we saw win the Stanley Cup last season. This was a game of two very competitive teams, though, but a name that is very familiar to anyone in hockey, Kale McCarr having an impressive goal to start this one, Bouncing the puck from the end boards behind the net. Here's the call by Avs play-by-play Connor McGahey. One back for Kale McCarr. Walks the blue line. High space to shoot. McCarr lets it go. Tipped as wide by Arturi Lekkinen. Over the top of the net. And in! How in the world? Who cares? Off the glass. Off of back and in. The power play strikes again for Colorado. It's going to be the goal of Kale McCarr. Oh, hail Kale because it's 1-0 Colorado. McCarr let it fly. It went off the glass behind Antti Ranta, off his left leg and in. Better be lucky than good, and for Kale McCarr, he's both. Off the left skate of Ranta, off the big miss, off the glass, and Colorado, one for two on the power play, takes a 1-0 lead. The Winnipeg Jets in Calgary Flames faced off also on Saturday, and this was the chance for Calgary to end their seven-game skid as they took a 3-2 win at home. However, on the Jets' side, Pierre-Luc Dubois has been impressive as of late with goals in his last four of five games. Goal four coming on Saturday in this one. Listen to the call by Paul Edmonds. Appleton back to win the line. Pionk at the side of the net for Morrissey. Out in front of the shot. They score! Pierre-Luc Dubois with goals in four straight has tied it at two. What a passing play by the Jets. And the last goal call to wrap up coast-to-coast, the Ottawa Senators and Philadelphia Flyers game on Saturday. Alex Dabrinkit had a good night with two power play goals in this one to help the Senators to a 4-1 win. One of those goals came on a sneaky shot that went past the pad of Carter Hart into the net. Here's the goal call from Ottawa's Dean Brown. Side back to the point. Here's Pinto. Giroux tries to give it back to him. Fans on the shot. Here's Giroux again. Sends it in for a tip. Side of the net. Scores! From the corner, a beautiful bank shot. Dabrinkit gets his second of the day. As we look ahead to the coming months in January, the Ducks will host their first ever Women in Sports Night, honoring girls and women in sports at all levels. Through the time leading up to it, I'm happy to welcome on to Light the Lamp different women who have been excelling in sports. Now, last week, while NHL on TNT was in town, I was joined by NHL Network and TNT's Jackie Redman here in the Korea studio. Jackie has been a great example for women in broadcasting on the national level. Listen to our conversation now in this next segment. 
Joining Light the Lamp now here in the Paul Korea studio is NHL Network and TNT broadcaster Jackie Redmond. Jackie, welcome to the Korea studio. Listen, I feel honored to be in here. The Paul Korea studio? Are you kidding? <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm cool enough to be in here. You absolutely are. We're going to have to have <laughs> you sign the glass after this interview also because I love having oh my all gosh. my guests. Sign the glass. We've got a couple great names on there. Panger's on there. Last oh, time of he course. Of course, Panger's <laughs> on there. <laughs> so for anyone listening, I want to go back a little bit to so they can learn a little bit about you sure. and your background. So you grew up in the Toronto area. Yeah, just a couple hours at west of Toronto. So um, London, Ontario. So home of the London Knights. Uh, Anthony Stollers, I believe, used to play there. So uh, go him. But uh, yeah, so two hours outside of Toronto. I'm from Nova Scotia originally, but I spent my entire adolescence in Ontario. And now did you always want to be a broadcaster? No, I think that I wanted to be around hockey and I wanted to be around sports. That's sort of a realization that I had, you know, my preteens probably. I was I was a tomboy growing up. I played every sport under the sun, um, including hockey. And so as I got older, um, I started to kind of realize through my friendships and conversations with classmates at school that you know, I kind of knew a lot about hockey and people were always surprised by that. And so I started going, oh, like maybe, maybe I could like do something with this. And so I went to school for media communications and journalism. But for me, like I was open to doing anything. I would have done marketing. I would have done PR. Like I would have done anything that just kept me close to the game. And now having played hockey, I mean, what were what were your best skills when you were playing at the time? Oh gosh, my <laughs> skating was my number one skill. Yeah, I was, a, I, I am, <laughs> and I was a really, really good skater. So I actually started playing hockey um, at an age that most people would, con would consider very late. Like I was mm -hmm. nine um, and I had figure skated prior to the, the prior to that pretty competitively but my sister was playing hockey from the age of like five like she played with boys she did the whole thing and so I used to have to go to her tournaments and I remember literally this is what made me want to play hockey um there was a battle in front of the net and and someone hit her goalie and she literally speared them like Roman Reigns style <laughs> and a huge skirmish breaks out and they go on to win the game and the tournament it was it was the final game and I was just like I want to do that like that is way better than just skating by myself to a song like I want to do that and so I started playing hockey after that so my skating which you know anyone that you know knows figure skating obviously if you have a figure skating background your skating is really strong and so that helped me as a player I did not um, have the best stick handling skills let's say but I could see the ice and I could make a good pass and because I could skate I kind of outskated a lot of my um, other deficiencies if you will. That young passion for the game, I feel like, has translated really well to your career now. I mean, covering the NHL, you've been covering the league and hockey for a while now. Do you still feel that same excitement as when you were playing, too? You know what's so funny is I was just saying to someone that I feel extra excited this season for some reason. I'm always excited. I'm still passionate about the game. I haven't lost that. But for whatever reason, I feel this season specifically, there's been so many surprises and so many great storylines so far that I didn't see coming that I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, what is this league this year? I'm so excited. Um, so I'm, my passion is, is very much still alive. And I think one of the things I loved about playing sports and I, I mean, I played hockey was, was my number one, but I played baseball as well. Um, basketball, um, until a pretty, pretty old age as well. Um, 
it's the competition, you know, and, and as much as I'm not competing in the league, obviously, I really, really enjoy um, feeling like I'm a part of it and covering that competition and covering um, stories of teams overcoming adversity, which we always see in the postseason and even through the regular season, too. So I feel like covering hockey has kept my competitive spirit alive. And so, um, yeah, I still love it. (laughs) (laughs) What have been some of your favorite storylines so far in this season then? In this season, uh, I'd be hard pressed not to say the devils and the Kraken. Um, the New Jersey devils are so fun to watch. Um, anyone that's watched a game of them front to back aside from the first couple of the year, it's like, Oh, not only is this team winning, they're really entertaining. Like they're fast, they're skilled. Um, so that's been a fun one for me. And then the Seattle Kraken, um, they've won a few games in a row now, and that's something that I don't think anyone saw coming. And they're a team that, you know, with all due respect was basically irrelevant last year. So anytime a team takes the league by surprise in the early going, I'm, I'm like all about it. I'm full throttle in on those teams. Um, so those are the things that get my attention early. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Toronto Maple Leafs. Your, of course, your fandom. Uh, you know, how are you feeling about the team? Uh, much better than I was a week ago. If you had asked me this um, a little over a week ago, I would have been like, "Oh my gosh, uh, it's awful! Fire everybody!" Um, because as much as I know and understand that market so well from growing up around it, um, I still fall victim to being dramatic when it comes to that team. I think it's just part of being a Leaf fan, if you will, is riding those highs and lows. And there, there really is no in between. Like if you're a calm, cool and collected Leafs fan, like, are you a real Leafs fan? I I don't know. Um, But I feel so much better. I think that game against Boston specifically, that's the team that I think people believe the Leafs can be. That's the team um, that we grew to love in the pandemic when they kind of dominated that North division. Um, So when you see that, especially against a team like Boston, that looks like the best team in the league this year, um, it gets you excited, especially when you've got John Tavares and Willie Nylander and Austin Matthews and those core guys, Mitch Marner contributing. You're like, ah, this, this is the team that gives me hope that Toronto can not only get out of the first round, but potentially do some damage in the postseason. So, um, yeah, it's exciting, but it's scary because Austin Matthews has been around for a minute now. So it's like, oh my gosh, this, like <laughs> this core in Toronto, it's not necessarily new anymore. And he's a couple years away from, you know, his contract being up. So yeah, being a Leaf fan, there's never a dull moment, you know? <laughs> you know, and one of the big things with that is the Twitter community that not only the Leafs have, but hockey has in general Mm -hmm. too it's really exciting to see how much it's grown over the years I feel like since I joined Twitter people are a lot more vocal and you can interact better but having the ability to connect with fans whether they watch your show on NHL Network or following your tweets what is that like for you um I think it's been a big part of my growth um as a broadcaster. I mean, Twitter, even 10 years ago, isn't what it is today. Instagram certainly wasn't. TikTok is something I'm trying (laughs) to add to my repertoire, although it's difficult. Um, But I think I am very fortunate that I came up in a time where social media was a thing. Um, So when I was back in Canada and starting out and I didn't have my own hockey show and I wasn't someone that was sports specific, I think that I was able to take advantage of, you know, putting out behind the scenes content and communicating with sports fans 
um, before it really became an essential part of the job. Like right now, I think mm -hmm. anyone in broadcasting knows like you got to be on Twitter, you got to be communicating. But in 2011, 2012, that wasn't something that I, I think was mandatory really for a broadcaster. And so as someone starting out, I think I at the time and I did not know that this was happening. This was very like unconscious. Um, I was out there and I was interacting with people and I was posting a lot of my content online before it was kind of the thing to do. And I think that helped me really build um, a bit of a brand and a bit of a, you know, a, a following early in my career that I think helped me as I, as I went down the road, because when I was at Sportsnet at the time, certain projects would come up and um, the powers that be there would think of me because they'd be like, oh, she's great on social. Let's use mm -hmm. her for that. Oh, this brand wants somebody that's active on social media. Jackie is the girl. When really, like, I didn't have all that much experience doing actual television. <laughs> so it definitely helped me in that way. Um, but it's a catch-22, right? Like, it's, it's one of the best things about being a sports fan and or broadcaster in 2022. But it's also one of the toughest things mm -hmm. because – if you are brave enough to have an opinion about something on Twitter, there's hundreds, sometimes thousands of people that are right there ready to tell you why you're wrong. So um, you have to be ready for that. And and you have to be okay with, with people thinking that you're wrong mm -hmm. about certain things. So I've learned that over the course of my career too. Working with TNT now, you mentioned to me earlier, you're on a lot of the West Coast games, yeah. a lot of travel <laughs> for you. How has the season been so far and getting the opportunity to work with TNT also last season too, a little bit? Yeah, I love it. I'm super grateful for it. Um, you know, I was telling you before the show that, you know, I've spent 98% of my career in studio and I love being in studio and I love getting to host segments and produce segments and, and have a voice and a platform, but I haven't spent all that much time like around the game in the ranks and and kind of being where the action is. And so this opportunity with TNT has given me a chance to do that. And so in a lot of ways, I feel like for the first time in years, I'm facing new challenges and I'm getting getting a little nervous, you know, <laughs> and, and I think there's something very healthy about that to challenge yourself and try new things and continue to learn and grow as a broadcaster as you go. I mean, I've been doing this a decade now, but I feel like in this role in particular, I'm like, oh, I'm like, new at this. I'm like a little scared. This mm -hmm. is cool. I like this. Um, so from, from that standpoint, I've really, really enjoyed it even when it's been tough and I've had some, some key learning moments along the way, um, for the travel, the travel has been, it's been a thing. Um, but I think that's all just part of, of living the dream, right? I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I'm lucky to work with Darren Pang and Brennan Burke mostly, most of the time. Um, and they've been super welcoming and, and easy to work with. And the one thing I've learned um, in going from, okay, I host a two-hour studio show and all we talk about is hockey is that once you're out there in the hockey community, everybody's so nice, mm -hmm. you know, like you're yep. intimidated. You're like, I, and I've done like major events and I've done the cup final, but those are different. Right. But to be at the rink in the regular season and the day to day and have people be so nice and welcoming and like, how can I help you? And I'm talking PR staff, coaches, players, even mm -hmm. just, I, 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 maybe every league is like this, but I just feel like the NHL is such a down to earth, humble environment for the most part. And, and I've really yep. enjoyed that. Definitely. I, I see that too. And I'm only in my first season here yeah. with the Ducks. Everyone is so, so welcoming and so sweet. Uh, but one of the things that's really unique about the opportunity to travel is building those connections with players. If you've 
have met them in the past or, you know, getting to know them more. Do you have any good stories about any guys around the league? That, oh gosh. That you can share. Um, hmm. <laughs> let me think. <laughs> um, you know, I'll say this too is, you know, I am not afraid to say what I think on mm -hmm. NHL network. And luckily I work for a place that allows me to do that, but I've always felt kind of, um, a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Like how dare I say these things or have these opinions when I don't know the people that I'm talking about, or I don't interact with them on a daily basis to the point where like, they know that there's a mutual respect there and that I'm just, you know, doing my job and saying what I think about, whether it's a losing streak or a player that's struggling or, or whatever. And, you know, last year I was pretty tough on Jordan Bennington, um, when it was the Jordan Bennington who so, uh, rivalry there. And then you meet players in person. And as long as you're like respectful and, and, um, and open with them. I feel like they're really cool about it, or at least he, he has been. Um, but in terms of a good story, oh gosh, I don't know if I have like a good story. Um, even from the cup final last year, maybe covering the playoffs or anything. Oh, I like have, that. I have a good story. Um, from the cup final last year. Um, I obviously the Colorado avalanche and their journey to the cup and, uh, you know, you forget, this is going to sound so strange, but you forget when you do a show every day that like it goes out to real people and they watch it. <laughs> like, to yes. me, it's like, I'm just like, I get doing that. my job. And then once in a while I'll, I'll see it on, you know, at a bar or someone will bring up the show to me and I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Like people watch that. <laughs> that's weird. And so during the cup final, um, after the Avs have had won, Kale McCarr's dad, um, came up to me and was like, Hey, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Kale McCarr's dad. And I just want to say thank you for all of the coverage this year you you and EJ have been so kind to my son and you guys talk about him all oh. the time and I'm like yeah your son's Kale McCarr everyone <laughs> everyone is talking about your son and so it was kind of this interesting moment where it was like oh yeah like I guess like some of these guys families tune into <laughs> NHL network to see what we're saying about their kids and so um that was kind of a surreal moment for me as well and you know I just happened to be um hanging out with the guys from Missing Curfew um a few days before they won the cup um Shane O'Brien and Scotty Upshaw and we ended up at a pool hall with Kale McCarr's brother <laughs> and playing pool and doing that sort of thing so it's little things like that where you kind of um, you're like, man, like what I'm doing is so cool right now. And, mm -hmm. and you learn things about the players in the league or the teams just from a lot of those different interactions that you have that are so, you know, unexpected. Mm -hmm. Like I did not expect to be playing pool with Kale McCarr's brother <laughs> randomly, um, with the missing curfew guys. And then, you know, four days later, I'm chatting with Kale McCarr's dad and he's thanking me. I'm like, are you what? Like, you should not be thanking me for how I covered your son. He's literally like a generational talent, mm -hmm. but all right, cool. <laughs> so he comes from a, clearly comes from a very, very down to earth home. Mm -hmm. On the entertainment side, you started working with the WWE yeah. as well. <laughs> Where did the interest for that come from? Um, you know, I I am of the belief that 90% of people my age that, you know, were kids in the 2000s had some sort of WWE phase during the Attitude Era. Like that was, to me, those are the golden years, right? That's The Rock, that's Stone Cold, the Hardy Boys, uh, Triple H, like the, the height of the Attitude Era. And I did. So I was a huge fan for a couple of years when I was younger. And what a lot of people don't realize is that I actually did a wrestling show in Canada um, for about five years. Okay. And it was 
really one of the shows that I cut my teeth on as a broadcaster and really learned, you know, who I was in front of the camera, learned how to be comfortable, how to kind of do it my way. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think that there's one way to learn how to be a broadcaster. I really, really believe that it's, it's a little bit different for every person and what they're comfortable with and who they want to be. And so wrestling, you know, has a special place for me because that's kind of where I found my broadcasting voice and Mm -hmm. who I was, was covering WWE. And so when the opportunity came up um, a couple of years ago, I just honestly got a random call during the cup final. I was in Montreal and I was like, wait, WWE wants me to host a show for them. Uh, All right, cool. And so um, I was I was into it right away and I Mm -hmm. and I wanted to do it. And I've had an absolute blast. It's it's pure entertainment. Um, The wrestlers are super easy to interview because they are characters they're performing right so it's different from sports where you know if a team's on a losing streak or you know you're in the stanley cup playoffs things can get very tight and serious and it's hard to kind of pull um a good answer out of a player because they're focused on the game they're focused on trying to trying to win whereas these wrestlers it is all about the show baby so (laughs) it's like you get so much out of them and then in a way i become a character myself like i'm allowed to you know say that someone is a weasel or I'm allowed to say like this guy sucks you know and it's it's fine because that's all part of the narrative so it's been super fun and I highly recommend to anyone whether you watch wrestling or not go to a live show there is mm. nothing like a live WWE event it's it's such a, an awesome production especially if it's a if it's a premium live event so um, I definitely think people should do that. And I am like, I still am a big wrestling fan. Like I was such a stone cold Steve Austin stand. So, <laughs> and I'm sure you're able to connect with some people also in the NHL. I'm sure that. Oh, let me tell too. you, there are so <laughs> many pro athletes that are WWE fans mm-hmm. and they just come out of the woodwork once they know that you were, they'll be like, oh, so I heard that you're doing WWE stuff. I'm like, you heard or you just, you saw because you watch it. And I think there's definitely a lot of crossover between the major four sports and WWE. And I mean, we saw Bruce Boudreau in Vancouver mm-hmm. brought out the the Vancouver Canucks championship belt as their post-game <laughs> MVP thing. So um, yeah, there's a lot of crossover for sure. But Bruce Boudreau might be the biggest WWE fan in the NHL. <laughs> Actually, I won't say probably. He absolutely he is. is. Yeah, he is. Uh, he owns that crown for sure. Getting back to hockey now, looking at the rest of the season, what are some things that you're looking forward to or any teams that you're kind of looking at maybe like they're going to rise up a little bit as well? Um, I mean, I'm going to be totally biased here and bring up the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think that they are very interesting only because they they still have yet to get out of the first round with the Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares core. Um, so I'm very curious to see how it goes for them. I think even if they dominate the regular season, the narrative will be, can they get out of the first round? Mm-hmm. Or have they really taken that step? And if they don't, I think there's going to be some major changes in that organization. And obviously it's my team. So I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> going to be paying attention to that. I'm also very curious to see which one of these early season surprises sticks around because Mm -hmm. I think some of these teams are, they're going to regress. They're going to kind of regress to the mean and kind of become who they are as a team. But I think every year we see that one of these surprises hangs around last year, you know, the LA Kings and the ducks got off to these surprising starts. Troy Terry had the 16 game point streak. There was so much going on in California. The ducks end up falling off, but the Kings hung around in the Pacific. Um, the entire season end up making the playoffs and, you know, 
Vegas's issues had had a little something to do with that, I'm sure. Um, but I do think that ultimately one of these teams that's a surprise, whether it's the Devils um, or someone else, they're going to end up hanging around and being more relevant than we think. And I'm just curious to see, is it going to be New Jersey? Is it going to be Buffalo? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be someone else? Uh, Seattle? I don't think it'll be Seattle, <laughs> but mm -hmm. you know, you never know. Mm -hmm. And then the same in the reverse. So you see some of these really good teams struggling, right? The Blues have lost eight in a row. The Pittsburgh Penguins um, have lost, I think, six or seven, seven in a row, I think, at this point two teams that I thought were, were playoff bound for sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of those teams will find their way, but I don't think all of them will. So which of these, of these teams that have been considered top tier for a long time is going to actually fall off at the start of the year. We were talking about Boston being a team that's going to regress and that obviously mm -hmm. we were all dead wrong about that. Um, so those are the things that I kind of pay attention to and, and that intrigued me because it's, I think the hardest thing to do in our sport, not to ramble on and on is like know when a team that's good has to pivot because they're about to kind of fall back a little mm -hmm. bit. Like, I don't know how front offices do it. It's so difficult. Like, who saw Pittsburgh, you know, going on this crazy losing streak? Mm -hmm. I didn't. I mean, I was like, oh, wow, they found a way to sign Latang and keep right. Rust and like do keep all and Malkin core. and like keep it all together. Like, oh, God. And now it's like, I don't I can they get out of this? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Um, so I think that's one of the toughest things to to predict is like a good team actually regressing because mm -hmm. it, it ha happens to all good teams eventually. Mm -hmm. Well, we're hoping that the Ducks are able to get some wins here this week as yeah. they have a little bit of a home stand going on. And so awesome to have you, Jackie Redmond, here in our Paul Korea studio on the game tonight for the TNT yeah. call. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Duckstream. Yeah, I, I am happy to be here. Uh, always, a, always a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, I, I don't think they're wearing their retros tonight, but I wish that they were. Those are sick. <laughs> no, they are. They right? Are really, yes. I know it's a little bit split on Twitter, but I'm- What? Huge, what do you mean? Yeah. Ducks fans are a little split on Twitter. What, is, what don't they like? I, you know, I, I think it's just- the old logo and the new colors, like they're just not, they're not into it, but I certainly am a fan of them. I've shared that a lot. I on think this. they're sick. <laughs> yeah. I think they're so cool. The orange pants I think makes it. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe I'm just biased to the ducks cause I loved the movies and I, I don't know, but I love them. I think they're great. <laughs> well, hopefully maybe they'll be wearing them next time you come back. Yes. I hope to be back for sure. And maybe for longer than 24 hours. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. One thing I've always admired about Jackie is her ability to be herself on air. I think it really shines through and I'm such a fan of her and was so happy to have her in studio. Now, also last week, I was joined in the studio by local professional beach volleyball player, Sarah Hughes. Sarah grew up in Orange County and has always been a fan of the Ducks. Last week, her and former Olympic volleyball player, Misty May Trainer came out to a Ducks game. You may have saw them on the Jumbotron if you were at the game on Wednesday. I'm really excited to share my conversation with Sarah about her journey in sports and the impact she's had in beach volleyball. Welcome into the Paul Korea studio. Today we have professional beach volleyball player Sarah Hughes. Sarah, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. It's so exciting being here. And now you are a local girl. You grew up here, you played volleyball here, and you've had quite a journey to where you're at now. But I want to go back and begin. Where did you start playing volleyball and how did that start? Yeah, uh, so Orange County girl at heart. I first started playing beach volleyball when I was eight years old and it was in Huntington Beach. 
So I learned how to play the game there. I've spent, you know, days, hours, so much time at that beach learning and playing the game that I love. Um, you know, I, I grew up watching my older brother and sister play volleyball. So from even a younger age, I was kind of always around the sport. Uh, they played indoor, but I found my heart is in the beach game. And so I was lucky to live so close to a beach and mm -hmm. grow up easy drive down to Huntington and play there every day. Now, growing up with siblings that did play volleyball, how competitive was that? You know, <laughs> I, I think being the youngest, there was always this competitive edge where I just wanted to be like my siblings. So at every tournament, you know, I was always dragged to them because, you know, my mom needed me to be there with mm -hmm. her. And my mom played volleyball a little bit, so I would always grab a ball and we'd always be passing back and forth together. And so I always had that touch on a ball. And, you know, even to this day, my sibling said, oh, we always try to get rid of you because you always wanted to, you know, try to keep up with us and play all the sports with us. And I was like, maybe that's how I got so fast. <laughs> you know, I was trying to always catch up with you guys. So I think it gave me a little bit of a competitive edge. Growing up watching sports, what sports did you like to watch and also play besides volleyball too? Yeah, I always really liked watching basketball. My dad was, you know, a big basketball player. So I loved watching it and playing it. Um, you know, I did a lot. I, I ran track. I played tennis, played soccer. Uh, from a young age, my mom told me that, you know, I just wanted to play. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what sport it was, just go out and play. And so I think, I, you know, I really first started with soccer. Um, and just fell in love with sports at a really young age. Being from here, you have to be a Ducks fan growing up. I mean, going back, the Ducks won the Stanley Cup in 2007. Do you have any memories from that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was just such a monumental moment for, you know, being in Orange County and having this amazing team, a local team right at our fingertips. And winning that major championship was unbelievable. And I think it's a great memory to have for this, you know, this community. And it's just so much fun. You know, along Southern California, we have a lot of sports teams, but specifically in Orange County, having the Ducks is it's really special. Did you have a favorite player then or do you have a favorite player now? Yeah. I mean, you know, I really <laughs> I really like the goalies. So I like watching Gibby. So okay. <laughs> hopefully you get to see see him play tonight. Yeah, he will be starting tonight, actually. <laughs> uh, so going along with, you know, your volleyball journey, you went to USC, had a very successful career there. What were those years like for you? Yeah, I I mean, I would never give up my four years at USC for anything. It was it was such a fun time. Um, you know, it's, it was interesting because I played indoor and beach, you know, growing up. And so I knew that I was always going to play indoor in college, but beach volleyball was newly coming up as a sport in college. And once I found that out, I said, no matter where I go, I have to play beach volleyball. <laughs> I, you know, I could play indoor, but as long the school has to have a beach volleyball team. So through that progress of trying to figure out what school I wanted to go to. I, you know, was being recruited, but I, I went on an official visit to USC because they were one of the top schools that believed in beach volleyball. And for me, it was like, I'm going to take this risk where a lot of people didn't believe that beach volleyball could make it in college mm -hmm. at that level. They're like, you never know, like it could fail after the first year. And I was one of the top recruits for indoor. But, you know, I wanted to lead this charge of 
believing in the sport and, you know, hopefully down the line that I, I hoped it could grow so big that, you know, girls growing up could, you know, want to play beach volleyball in college and have that dream like I did. So I committed to a full scholarship for beach volleyball at USC. And now it's, you know, the fastest growing NCAA sport in history. So it was, it was really special four years and winning five national championships there, you know, really solidified how important beach volleyball can be within the community and at the collegiate level. And I, it's great. I, I miss USC and it, it's fun going back for alumni games, but it was really great making an impact there. What kind of emotions do you feel knowing that you were a part of growing that? You know, I'm, it's just, it just makes me so happy. And I, for me, it really was believing in my dream and pursuing my dream with the hope that it could help another little girl, you know, mm -hmm. live her own dream in college and play the sport that she loves. And to see that to this day where, you know, there's six full scholarships now. Um, it started with only a couple scholarships and now it's just giving more opportunity for women to play collegiate sports. Um, and I don't know, every time it just makes me so happy. And my coach was at the time on a collier was the one who really led the charge and really solidified beach volleyball as a college sport. So just to be one of her players and, mm -hmm. you know, help make history, it really means a lot. Who was the person that you looked up to the most in your sport? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Misty May, um, Misty May trainer, you know, she's also was local Huntington beach. She played there a lot. I, I mean, to this day, idolize Misty and I have a very close relationship with her now that I'm really grateful to have, but she still makes me nervous because <laughs> she is my idol. And when, you know, I told you, I started playing when I was eight years old in Huntington, my coach at the time, Bill Lovelace would bring me over sit me on the wall at Huntington and said, if you want to be the best, you have to watch the best. Mm. And right in front of me who was playing was Misty May. So I had a firsthand experience being eight years old, watching Misty play and idolizing her and being able to talk to her. Uh, I'll never forget. Um, she was heading out to one of her Olympic games and my mom was down at the beach with me we had just watched Misty. She was walking to her car in the parking lot. And my mom said, you can do it. Just run up to her, shake her hand and tell oh. her good luck in the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And I was so nervous. I don't even, you know, I just ran over to her, told her that, you know, she was my favorite player, that I hope she wins gold. And I <laughs> ran away really quickly. Um, and then, you know, I heard a whistle. She whistled for me told me to come back over and, you know, we walk over to her car and in the trunk of her car, she had Mikasa armbands because that was one of her sponsors and it had her name on it. And she gave me a bunch of those Aww. and I still have them to this day. Oh, wow. And, and now lo and behold, I'm sponsored by Mikasa. Wow. So it's just, you know, this full circle moment mm -hmm. of, you know, even seeing, you know, some of the sponsors Misty had now that I have, you know, with Nike and KT tape and Oakley and Mikasa, like I'm so grateful for those. So, you know, I idolized Misty who had all those and 
now I have him to this day. So what kind of relationship do you have with her right now? Like, does she help you coach or does she coach you still? And like, do you get to text her? Or what, what's that like? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> she showed up to my practice today, actually. Oh. So just to know that she supports me mm-hmm. and believes in me is is just monumental for my career. I, I could call her at any time, text her, offer, you know, she'd offer any advice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, anytime she sees me play, I'm like, what, what can I do better? And um, she's always there for me. And I, I just appreciate it so much. Now, as you're training for the next Olympic Games, what has that process been like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a really exciting process right now because the official start is January of next year is when the Olympic qualification starts up. So I, I'm really excited because, you know, the partner I'm playing with, we actually just reunited. So we're a mm-hmm. new team um, and our goal is to dominate just to dominate the world tour, the domestic tour, and, you know, come up with a gold medal in 2024 right under the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Sarah Hughes, I will be rooting for you at that time. Thank you so much for joining us here in the Korea studio. And I'm so glad that Ducks sweater looks great on you and you get to enjoy your first Ducks game. Yeah, well, thank you so (laughs) much for having me and go Ducks. And congratulations to Sarah, who won the AVP Huntington Beach Open on Sunday with her partner, Kelly Chang. I had the opportunity to go, and it was so much fun. Best of luck to the pair as they prepare for the upcoming Paris Olympics. It's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. Tuesday night, the team will celebrate Hockey Fights Cancer Night at Honda Center for their game against the Detroit Red Wings. This is always a special and emotional night on a lot of levels. I'm looking forward to it. And make sure if you're coming to the game, you wear your lavender. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for more hockey talk here on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.